The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is Thursday, November 17th right now, but when this episode comes out, it's going to be Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to us Americans and our American holiday. I know. We uh, I, Every year I get jealous. Like, the food sounds so delicious. We, we don't have Thanksgiving here, clearly, but... You yeah. should just start it, like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe I'll start a new tradition. Start, like, a movement, <laughs> get a petition going, <laughs> Thanksgiving for all. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so I hope everybody is um, having a great start to their Thanksgiving. I'm assuming you're listening to this bright and early as soon as you wake up because you're all so dedicated <laughs> to listening to True Crime Society. So good luck making all your food or eating all your food, having drinks with your family, good luck uh, not eating. fighting that's with a, them. That's a good thing to wish luck for. <laughs> not fighting with your family? No, no, the eating. Good luck eating your food. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always have to like – I get full so fast, but I don't know. I feel like like this is like stuff no one cares about. I feel like I have indigestion problems. So like I'll eat for like five seconds and then I'll feel super full. So then I have to like sit and rest for a little and then I'll like come back and like eat a little more. I have to eat like it's a marathon. Yeah. Well, see, I'm the opposite. I just eat so quickly and then I feel sick. <laughs> and I feel sick. That's what Mike does too. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. And then we got Black Friday. Most stores – when I used to work – in the mall, I used to work um, like in retail and I worked at Sunglass Hut and other places. But when I worked there, the mall decided it'd be a good idea to start like opening on Thanksgiving night. And now they don't do that anymore. Like most places are like, that's that's kind of rude to everyone. <laughs> I know. I just can't even imagine having like dinner, you know, massive lunch, massive dinner and then having to go to work. <laughs> I remember my one shift, my sister, she, because for Sunglass Hut, they did kind of like because it was so busy during the holidays, um, they did – you could have, like, your friends or family come work too. So my sister worked there seasonally at first. And we had to go in for a shift that started at 11. It was, like, 11 to, like, 4 a.m. or something ridiculous. And at first it's, like, fun because it was, like, the mall opened at midnight. So at first it was fun and it's just, like, having a good time. Everyone's like, woo, we're shopping at midnight. <laughs> and then everything dies down around, like – two and then from two to four it was so miserable and it dragged on for so long and that's when you start feeling so tired I know and you've still got all these hours to go it's so yeah I would and then I I feel like we like didn't have enough staff or something one year so like I went I did the midnight to like four whatever went home and then I like went back to close that night from like um (laughs) like five to nine thirty or something gosh it was crazy. Don't miss yeah. it. Even they've started to have kind of Black Friday sales here, um, which is funny because obviously we don't have Thanksgiving, so it's just a random Friday. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't mind the sales. 
Is Black Friday, is it like a newer thing for you guys or did yeah, you Yeah, like when it? I was growing up, it absolutely wasn't a thing. I think it like it's probably been in the last five-ish years that it's mm. started more like, and I feel like a lot of it too is online. Like there's tons and tons of Black Friday sales online, probably not as many yeah, in the stores, why. but it is it is getting more. Like even today I've had tons of texts from like big department stores and stuff already saying Black Friday starts now. So um, Yeah, now they start so early. I'm like yeah. you're ruining Black, the idea of Black Friday would <laughs> be like pre-Black Friday sales. <laughs> that's good. Like I don't mind it because obviously Christmas is coming up. It's a good time to get all your presents. But um, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I feel like there's never really even been anything that I like got on a Black Friday. Because like, I don't know, I'm just not one of those people where I'm like, I'm going to murder someone for a television or whatever. <laughs> Probably a good episode to be talking about murder. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that would be, <laughs> I was going to say is that could be like, an episode itself of just like Black Friday nightmares. Yeah. I always see like the old footage of, you know, all the hundreds and people lined up outside the store and they like all crush each other to get in. I feel like that doesn't happen. I feel it doesn't happen anymore though because so many people do online shopping instead. Yeah, I agree. And like now the stores all open at different times. Like some will open at midnight, some will open earlier, some will open like 6 a.m. So I feel like it's not – as insane as it used to be. <laughs> Here they have um, the day after Christmas was kind of our traditional Black Friday. It's called Boxing Day here. So they would always mm-hmm. have the Boxing Day sales, and they still do, where I guess they kind of, you know, mark everything down. But that was always where they had the kind of crowd crush here was always the Boxing Day sales. Yeah, sorry. I'm trying to, like, fight That's keep right. off the laptop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have uh, – I think it's, like, the day the monday after black friday is like cyber monday i think is the Uh, other one and yeah i don't know it's just like a crazy time it used to be crazier though (laughs) it's less crazy now that people don't need to leave the house (laughs) yeah like (laughs) amazon's crazy though i don't know how they like deliver so much shit so fast like all through because i remember last year just like last minute ordering last minute presents that it was like the week of Christmas and they would still be like, okay, two days. <laughs> it's crazy. Sometimes you could even get stuff same day if you pay like an extra $2. It might just be me because I live near an Amazon yeah. warehouse actually. I feel like where I live is like an hour away from the city. So we can never really usually get same day. Sometimes we can get same day click and collect um, for like some things. But yeah, generally we have to wait until at least next day. But yeah, so hope everyone has a good, safe holiday. Try not to like get into any fights or act too crazy. Hopefully no one's too hungover. If your family's been very frustrating, just take a deep breath. (laughs) I don't really have anything else to talk about, I don't think. Nothing exciting. Anything for you? Um, yeah, not too much happening. My kids have got their dance, end of year dance concerts tonight and Sunday because it's Friday here. So Friday and Sunday. So they're pretty excited about that. Um, mm. And I've got my book club tomorrow, which is exciting. Oh, how was um, the camp? Did she have fun? Oh, yeah, she loved it. She loved it. She had a great time. The weather was amazing. Like I think, I don't know if I said it in the last episode. I think I did. No, probably. we were just talking about how she just went. But um, like apparently they had like for the first time all year we had like ten days of sunshine in the few days oh, yeah. that she was away. So that was great. They had amazing weather. 
she told me the food was amazing <laughs> which is good wow. yeah so I think she had a really good time and she only because like they're obviously all split up into kind of cabins so she was in a cabin with only two other girls which was nice because there was meant to be four of them but one got COVID before and couldn't come which is sad but uh, good for her because at least there was only two whereas some of the other cabins had up to eight kids so I think she got oh, a, wow. good, a good deal on that one yeah she loved it had a great time apparently everyone was sick on the bus on the way coming home which would I can't even imagine being that bus driver and having to deal with that but um sick like car sick or sick like yeah COVID? like bus Ugh. sick so my daughter always she's never actually been car sick or whatever but she always says she feels sick so I prepared her we had c-bands I don't know if you guys have heard of those they're like this little kind of tight fabric thing that you put on your wrists and they are meant to push on I think like an acupressure point that stops nausea so she swears by them ever since so she had them she had some travel sickness tablets if she needed them so she was fine but everyone else (laughs) she's like it was just the sound of it it nearly made me want to be sick so (laughs) I don't know why like I don't know why that it was there on the way back and not there I don't know I don't know what's going on it was just like one of them started and then you know when someone else throws up and then you're like (laughs) and worse maybe it was worse traffic or something I don't know anyway yeah no, she had a great time. And then, yeah, she's at a gala day for a sports gala day today. I feel like at the end of the year here, the actual education <laughs> starts winding down and they start doing happen. more yeah. fun things. So, yeah, she's at a sports gala day today and my other one is on an excursion to the Japanese gardens. So she was very mm. pumped for that. So, no, that's all good. Everyone's good. Fun. Mm. I'm glad she enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. And I'm glad she got to go after these few years of everything being cancelled and all that. Anyway, they made it there, so that's good. Yeah. Um, all right, so nothing for me to talk about because I'm boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll get into it. Um, this episode, we are going to be talking about the Parkland mass shooting, which is also known as the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting, which happened on Valentine's Day 2018. We've been talking about doing this episode for a while, um, but we knew it would be kind of a big undertaking. We're also waiting for his trial to end. So we figured this would be a good time because we're actually going to break it up into two episodes. So this episode, but it's not going to be in like an annoying way where we just like leave you hanging in the middle of the story, which I hate when podcasts do. (laughs) So this episode, we're going to talk about um, Nicholas Cruz, the shooter, his background, the timeline of the shooting up until where he gets arrested. So that's kind of the first half of the story. And then the next episode next week, we're going to talk about the trial and everything that happened after the fact and everything that came out during the trial. So it'll be two parts, but I don't think we'll be like leaving you hanging or anything like that in the middle of the story. No, I think it's a good way to kind of break it up because there is just so much information. I feel like this is probably one of the biggest episodes that we've ever done. I did want to add in a little trigger warning obviously this is about a mass shooting at a school like the death of kids is involved even for me it's one of the harder cases to watch videos and stuff about pretty much always makes me tear up watching the videos from the classrooms so there are videos I wasn't sure if I was gonna include them we'll see how I feel when I'm editing it but there are some clips of the survivors being interviewed where the videos that the kids took in the classrooms are kind of playing in the background so you do hear screaming and some of the gunshots so I just wanted to warn about that because it can be upsetting obviously um if I decide to put in the clips I'll say where so then you could fast forward if you want to but it is hard to hear 
I wasn't able to sleep. Like, I just saw his face in my head and, like, shots, hearing it. For the survivors of the Parkland shooting, the moments many feared would be their last, replaying over and over in their minds. You never think it will happen to you and, like, to your school until it really does, and it just doesn't feel real. Junior Mackenzie Hill was with her twin sister just moments before the shooting began. I was in the restroom while I heard 10 to 15 gunshots go out. And I go out of the stall, I run it like really quick, and I grab two people near me, telling them we need to get to the classroom right away. So you're in the bathroom on the second floor, and you hear the gunfire, and your twin sister is downstairs in the classroom? In the classroom I was in. She says she saw the shooter down the hall, heading down the stairs. And that's the moment I panicked, and the girl with me was hyperventilating because she had asthma. So when we get in the classroom, we were just sitting down, and I had contact with my sister. And then... <sighs> She told me she loved me and that I heard the gunshots on the first floor and she didn't answer me. Mackenzie describes those heart-wrenching moments separated from her twin sister. All we heard is screaming and crying and then it got silent because all the kids who were shot and the room's over, they lost, I guess they lost so much blood and we heard no gunshots for about 10 minutes. And 40 minutes later, I still received no messages from my sister not knowing if she got out. Downstairs in that classroom on the first floor, junior Jonathan Blank. There's a glass panel on our door and it's like a rectangular glass window. He opened fire at the door from out, from the inside the hallway, through the door, and just started spraying through the door. And in this chilling video, oh oh my the deafening shots ringing out, and you can actually see Jonathan. He was on the floor along with so many of his friends. You can see his sneakers right there. I was laying down, um, four kids in my class, they got shot. Um, two of them, I believe, passed away. Um, I saw them on the ground after they were shot. There was blood everywhere, and it was just horrible. So if you're not familiar with kind of the details of this shooting, the perpetrator of the crime was a man who was a teen at the time called Nicholas Cruz. He managed to murder 17 people, and he also wounded 17 others. Um, so as Stephanie said, we'll kind of get some background into him, go on to the timeline of the shooting, and then we'll discuss the trial and the legal process as well as the victims a bit later on. Just for some background into where this happened, Parkland, Florida is a suburban city, which is around 40 miles northwest of Miami. At the last census, the population was around 35,000, so kind of a, you know, not a tiny town, but not a huge city either. In 2021, Parkland was named as one of the most affluent cities in the U.S. It's ranked at number 16 among the top 25 cities that have between 30,000 and 50,000 residents. Um, the median household income in Parkland is $154,844, while the median income for the top cities is $137,983. So just gives you kind of an idea of the demographics of the area and the type of area that it is. It seems very family-oriented. Um, I've seen a lot of people have said that they actually had moved to Parkland prior to this because they believed it would be a safe place to raise their children. So mm. I guess for the residents especially, it would have been so shocking that this happened. Yeah. So Nicholas Cruz was born September 24, 1998. His biological mother is a woman named Brenda Woodard. Brenda gave Nicholas up for adoption as soon as he was born. She went through a private adoption process for him and his adoptive parents were Linda and Roger Cruz, which is where his last name comes from. As far as I can tell, the details of Nicholas's biological father haven't been made public. I have read some reports that say that Brenda doesn't know who Nicholas's father was. I'm not entirely sure what the truth is with that. But anyway, there's no real public details about his biological father. 
So Linda was in the delivery room when Brenda gave birth. It was the day before her 49th birthday. So she and Roger were a little bit of, you know, a little bit older parents. And Roger was 61 when Nicholas was born. Both Linda and Roger had been married before and Roger had four children from a previous relationship. Linda hadn't had any children before Nicholas. Less than a year after Nicholas was born, Brenda became pregnant again and the cruisers adopted that baby. That was also another son and they named him Zachary. So just to note, the biological mother, Brenda, has an extensive criminal history. She's got a rap sheet for battery, grand theft, and drug possession that dates back as early as the 1980s. So she's had a bit of trouble for a while. Yeah, it seems like she kind of knew that, and that's why she was adopting her babies out before they were even born. She's also been accused of many violent crimes, including beating someone with a tire iron. Yeah, so I agree. I think that she obviously got the process of adoption going well before the baby was born for Brenda to be able to be in the room. So yeah. yeah. So Linda was a stay-at-home mum and Roger worked in marketing and he travelled a lot for work. A family friend named Ben Aronson has spoken to the media and he said that when Roger was home, he was all about his kids. He said, I remember Roger having this entire like really extended type jungle gym out the back and the out in the backyard being built. They'd also built another wing to the house and the kids just had plenty to do. So Linda was very involved in kind of community events. She worked on getting Parkland's Liberty Park constructed and her two sons had their names printed on the fence slats at the park and Nicholas's name is still on there. So kind of ironic that she was so involved in the community and then he did this to the community. I wonder if his name would be vandalised or anything. Surely. I'm surprised they didn't take it down, but apparently it's still there. If you're local, let us know, but I've read that it is still there. So the family got two dogs for the boys, a retriever named Maisie and a terrier named Kobe. So they seemed like a very loving family who were, you know, working hard to provide for the boys, you know, obviously to make a choice to have young children in your 60s. In Roger's case, it's a lot. So they seemed like they were very willing and able to provide for the children. Yeah. So by the time Nicholas was three, he had been diagnosed with some developmental delays. Anne-Marie Fisher, who's the former director of the Young Minds Learning Centre, which I guess is like a preschool where Nicholas attended, she said he was delayed in independent skills, he was delayed in language, and he was delayed in gross motor and fine motor. So when Nicholas was five, which I think was a catalyst for a lot of things that ended up happening, Roger died in front of him from a heart attack. Ben Aronson, who's the family friend we spoke about earlier, spoke to the Orlando Sentinel about that. He said, Nicholas came down the hallway and he went to his room and he was crying. Linda said, what's the matter? Did daddy punish you? And just as clear as day, Nicholas said, nope, daddy's dead. So that would be so traumatic for a five-year-old to witness that and to understand what's going on. Like I feel like a lot of five-year-olds wouldn't even understand if that happened, but he seems to have been very know coherent and understanding of what's going on yeah do five-year-olds even know what death is yeah I don't know like I feel like even now my kids are older and if someone collapsed they probably like eventually they would but I don't think their first thought would be that they were dead I feel like most kids their reaction would be to like cry and scream and like get help and be worried yeah exactly unless it was like a very sudden collapse and die I don't know I feel like still a kid would be like oh my god mom yeah, it's a very, and obviously this is a secondhand retelling of what happened. So, um, yeah, anyway, it's just also, an as we go on, we'll see that Nicholas does have um, a lot of mental health issues that probably yeah. started at a young age. Yeah. 
So on that topic, as he grew up, more challenges emerged. He'd been diagnosed with a string of disorders and conditions, depression, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, emotional behavioral disability, and autism. And that comes from records from the State Department of Children and Families. The family friend, Ben, said he was a mama's boy. She was his best friend. So Nicholas and Zachary didn't always get along. Zachary's spoken a lot to the media since this has all happened. And he has said that basically Nicholas seemed to be Linda's favorite child and that Zachary did occasionally bully him. Nicholas became increasingly physical with both his mother and Zachary as he grew older. It's been said that police were called to their home 23 times in 10 years. His education was also very disrupted. He was known for foul language, insults and disobedience at school. So I guess, you know, he was known as the naughty kid and, you know, a bit ostracized because of that. Mm Mm-hmm. He attended Westglades Middle School in Coral Springs. He left there in the eighth grade and changed to Cross Creek School in Pompano Beach, which offered a program for emotionally and behaviorally behaviorally <laughs> disabled children. He didn't want to be there, but he attended through to January in his 10th grade year. Um, there's a Broward School System report from June 2015, and it says Nicholas's personal goal is to be mainstreamed to his home high school. He often fixates on the idea that his current school is for students that are, quote, not smart, and he can now handle being in a regular school. So after that, Nicholas attended the high school at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. He never graduated from there, though. He developed a fascination around this time with guns and death. There was a school report that said he's very concerned about his grades and how he's doing academically in class. Nicholas at times will be distracted by inappropriate conversations of his peers if the topic is about guns or people being killed in the armed forces. He will also engage in the conversation. And that same report said that Nicholas benefited from verbal praise and positive reinforcements. So he enrolled in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in January 2016, which is, you know, around two years before the shooting happened, just to give you an idea of the timeline. During his first month there, he posted on Instagram that he planned to shoot up the school. He did pass the 10th grade at Stoneman and he hoped to join the military. He was apparently a member of the Army Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps there. So at the start of the new school year, this is when things started to go really wrong for Nicholas. He was suspended for fighting. And just before his 18th birthday in September, a peer counsellor warned that Nicholas tried to kill himself by ingesting gasoline and he said that he wanted to buy a gun. Five days later, Nicholas was reported to the state for cutting his arms on the mobile app Snapchat. Uh, There's a Department of Children's and Family report that said, Mr. Cruz has fresh cuts on both his arms. He has stated he plans to go out and buy a gun. It is unknown what he's buying the gun for. So he also had hate signs, including a Nazi symbol and the words, I hate, we won't say it, but you can understand what it is, drawn on his book bag. It was, it's the N-word. Yeah, the N-word. Um, I found another list on Reddit, a good post that compiled just like some other strange red flags that he did before the shooting. So I'll just go through those quickly because some of them. It's just crazy how many red flags there are in some of these situations. And that people were aware of these red flags as well. Like there, was, there was reports about them and still no one did anything. And they'd be going on for at least a few years. So some of the other things from this list says, Cruz showed classmates a knife during school. He joked to classmates about shooting up the school. He bragged to classmates about his firearms and the animals that he's killed. He showed an acquaintance a lunchbox full of bullets He told a group of students that although he wanted to shoot up the school, he wouldn't shoot up their group because he liked them. 
During school, he would break windows, break exit signs, pull the fire alarms, and just scream. He showed his peers scars on his arms from cutting himself, um, and he was openly racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic. He often drew swastikas on his hands and belongings. He also openly expressed his desire to kill minorities, and he sent a bird head to a classmate. So, a lot. All right. So Nicholas stopped his mental health treatment in January 2017. And very soon after this, he was expelled from Stoneman after he assaulted another student. He was transferred to a new school on February 8th, 2017. So this is now almost exactly a year before the shootings. Three days after he went to the new school, which was February 11th, he purchased the AR-15 gun. And this is the gun that he would eventually use in this mass shooting the year later. The weapon was purchased here. Mr. Cruz walked in, selected an AR-15 directly off the rack. There were no modifications made to it. There were no accessories sold with it. The standard AR-15 weapon comes with one magazine, and that one magazine is the only magazine that was furnished with the weapon. It is for that reason that no red flags were raised. And there were various questions uh, that were asked of him for self-reporting. One of those questions was whether or not you've ever been adjudicated for a mental illness or whether or not you've ever been uh, institutionalized for mental health illness. He answered no. At the beginning of his senior year, Nicholas commented on a Mississippi video blogger's YouTube page and he said, I'm going to be a professional school shooter. The blogger did alert the FBI around the, about the comment. Zach, who's his brother, has said that he would come home and see Nicholas walking around the house with his shotgun, pretending to shoot invisible people while he bled pumped up kicks, which if you're not familiar with that song, it's about a school shooting. It's like, I can't remember the exact lyrics, but it's like, you better run faster than my bullets, essentially. Is. I, like, I don't know. I just feel like that. Imagine if your son was doing that at home and you let it, you thought that was fine. That's, I wonder that's if a big... Parents- well, Roger was dead at this point, but Linda was still alive. So I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, maybe she didn't know. But I feel I like I remember she- reading, it might be in here further along, that she was like really absent kind of after the husband Roger died. Roger died, yeah. Yeah. So Zach has said that once he also looked in Nicholas's phone and he found messages that kind of showed that Nicholas was talking to himself. One of the messages said, I'm going to go to that school. I'm going to shoot everybody. But Zach didn't tell anyone. I guess, you know, as the younger brother, what are you really going to do? You might just think he's a bit strange. You, I don't think anyone would ever think he would have acted on this. Well, I feel like one of the problems is that he'd been doing bullshit like this for so long and nothing happened yeah. that people are like, oh, there he is doing that stuff again talking about killing people and being terrible yeah so in november 2017 linda died very suddenly from pneumonia she went to a cvs with what she thought was the flu the clinic called an ambulance and sent her to the hospital where she died like i feel like this was like in a matter of hours so it all happened very quickly Zachary and Nicholas were now orphans. They moved in with a former neighbour named Roxanne Deschamps, I think is how you say in her name. But by November 29, so literally, again, just not two days after his mother died, Nicholas had been kicked out. Roxanne called 911 on him and told police that he was not welcome back. So a family named the Sneed family ended up taking Nicholas in. Their son was quite friendly with Nicholas and they did have some strict rules. They made him enroll in classes and they also made him get a job at a dollar store. 
They said that Nicholas seemed down when he came to live with them, but two weeks before the shooting, he told them he was the happiest he'd ever been. Shortly before the shooting, Nicholas made some videos of himself with his gun. He said, with the power of my my AR, you will know who I am. He also said, my life is nothing and meaningless. I live a lone life. I live in seclusion and solitude. I hate everyone and everything. Hello. My name is Nick, and I'm going to be the next school shooter of 2018. We're all going to die. Can't wait. All the kids in school will run in fear and hide. From the wrath of my power, every day I see the world ending another day. I live a lone life, live in seclusion and solitude. I hate everyone and everything. With the power of my AR, you will all know who I am. I had enough of being told what to do and when to do. I had enough of being telling me that I'm an idiot and a dumbass. But in real life, you're all the dumbass. And I'm gonna go take an Uber in the afternoon before 2.40. From there, I'll go into the to school campus, walk up the stairs, load my bags, and get my AR and shoot people. So on the afternoon of February 14th, 2018, so this would be around two months after he started living with the Sneed family, Nicholas repeatedly tried to phone and text an ex-girlfriend, but she told him to leave her alone and that she had a boyfriend. And he responded, you will always know I love you. I feel like I've Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I feel like also I've never really seen a girlfriend mentioned anywhere, so I have to wonder if she was really a girl, an ex-girlfriend or just a girl that he was annoying. Liked, yeah. yeah. Um, Nicholas then, he caught an Uber to Stoneman Douglas. He got out of the vehicle at 2.19 p.m., which is about 20 minutes before the end of the school day. Um, he was carrying a rifle case and a backpack, and he was seen by two employees while he was walking into the school. One ran and hid in the closet, and the other didn't report the threat okay so i'm gonna go through a timeline here that i found on reddit it was posted in the mass killer subreddit and the user is gross kids id but we'll link it in the blog because it is really well put together it has tons of links to like the videos pictures there's tons of cctv so it's just like a great compilation of everything if you really want to see all of that i like I warned before, it is hard to watch and look at some of it. But I'll just go through um, the general timeline here. Um, it might sound a little confusing because it talks about everyone who was shot and injured and where they were. But I think it paints a good picture of how fast this happened and how chaotic and scary it was. And it also highlights um, the teachers and students who really tried to help their peers. So at... Uh, 2-19-54, campus security monitor Andrew Medina, he unlocks the gates to the school 20 minutes before dismissal, and he watches crews arrive on campus from an Uber and walk into the school grounds with a rifle bag. He quickly recognized crews as the crazy boy, whom he and coworkers deemed most likely to shoot up the school, but despite this, he doesn't pursue him or alert anyone. At 2.21.16 p.m., another campus monitor who was alerted by Medina, David Taylor, walks into Building 12. He and Cruz can be seen on CCTV as Cruz walks into the stairwell. Taylor does not pursue him, and he just turns around instead. So already off to a rough start. 2.21.26, so a few seconds later. This part is, like, insane to me. Chris McKenna, 
a student, he leaves classroom 1216 to use the bathroom. And due to drug deals, vaping, etc., the school locked the first and third floor bathrooms, meaning Chris would have to go into the stairwell to access the second floor bathroom, which was the only one unlocked in the building at the time. Mm-hmm. So when he opens the door, he comes into contact with Nicholas Cruz, who's removing the weapon from his rifle case. And Cruz looks up and states, you better get out of here. Things are going to get messy. So obviously, Chris was terrified by this and runs out of the school through the stairwell to alert someone of what was going on. Could you imagine being that mm-hmm. kid now? And that encounter, it's linked in this. It's actually, you could see it on the CCTV. Like you could see um, Nicholas kind of like getting the gun out of the bag and you could see the other kid walk in and he says something to him and then you see the kid just run out. So gosh, this seems like the school had a lot of cameras. So a lot of this was caught on CCTV. Yes, I was in room 1216 in English class with Miss Haas. Miss Haas? Miss Haas. Okay. Okay. And what happened during fourth period? During fourth period, it was a normal day at the beginning. Um, around 2.21, I asked to go to the bathroom. Raised my hand, got the bathroom pass and everything. And I walked out of the classroom, made a left past 12, room 12.17, I believe it was, or 12.18, both of them. And I saw Martin and Luke, and I high-fived Martin. And I walked by him like it was normal, walked into the staircase, and I walked into a man. He was wearing a... Uh, a maroon shirt with a JROTC shirt with a backpack and a hat on, black pants. He had a rifle in his hands. I walked. I was. I kept. I was stunned. That's one second. And he said to me, "Get out of here. Things are about to get bad." And I walked through the double doors. I sprinted as fast as I can. I was. I was in the room in the staircase for about seven seconds, and I ran out and. I ran to the north side gates, by it was called our senior lot, and I ran into Coach Feist. Coach Feist was unlocking the senior gates, at, as he normally does with around 20 minutes left to school, and he told me to be calm and get into his golf cart. So I got into his golf cart. He dropped me off in the 1300 building, which was the building adjacent to uh, the freshman building, and he took me to the back there, and then that's when I heard the fire alarm go off when I was standing right in front. So um, at this point, there was still no code red or anything like that, which is the active shooter code for the campus. As that happens, um, another freshman named Martin Duque, who was 14 years old, Luke Hoyer, 15 years old, they're returning to their classroom, which is 1215. And another student, Ashley Baez, is walking in the hall as well. So outside room 1215, freshman Gina Montaldo, she is 14 years old. She was taking a test, like, you know, and you miss the test and they put you out in the hallway to take it. She was doing that. You can see Martin and Luke walk up to 1215 and knock to be let in. I guess the door was locked. So at 2.21.35, Nicholas shoots Gina, the girl taking the test in her legs and torso and close range in her chest, possibly post-mortem. Luke Hoyer is shot multiple times. His death was near instantaneous. And Martin Duque was shot eight times. He initially survived but died en route to the hospital. Ashley Baez, who was the girl further down the hall, she was shot in the leg and she quickly hid in an alcove of the locked women's restroom. So I remember that when this happened, it was a big point as like kids could have probably hidden in the bathroom, but they were locked. 
At 2.21.38, so this is still all like the same minute that this has happened, David Taylor is seen fleeing from the gunshots and CCTV footage. And despite hearing the gunshots, David Taylor, by the way, he's like a campus monitor. Um, despite hearing the gunshots, he doesn't call Code Red. He hides in a janitor's closet on the second floor. Um, it says it's unknown, but very unlikely that he alerted anyone on the first or second floor about the shooter. So from here, 2.21.42, still the same minute, Cruz begins shooting into room 12.16 while he's focused on another target. Baez quickly flees and takes cover in room 12.10 across the hallway, helping the students and teacher lock down the classroom. In 12.16, Alex Shatner, 14 years old, is sitting at his desk. He shot once in the head and once in the chest. According to a classmate, he was laying over his desk, hyperventilating before his death. Alyssa Alhadeth, 14, she takes cover behind the teacher's desk, but she got shot three times due to where she was sitting. And as the classroom panics and tries to hide, three more students are injured by bullets. William Olson, a freshman, is struck in both arms. Justin Colton, 14, is hit in the back and the arm. And Alex Dwaret, 14, is grazed by a bullet in the back of the head, narrowly escaping death. And still no code red or anything. The second floor around this time becomes aware of what could be happening downstairs because they can hear the gunshots. But the third floor is confused. They can kind of hear noises. Um, There's actually cell phone footage taken by the students at this time, like joking around, pretending it's a shooting because they didn't really think it was. Bro, what? I know you. (laughs) I know you guys hear me. Now I'm going behind the cover. It's not like somebody in the bathroom. Shh. What the fuck? Joaquin Oliver, who actually would end up becoming a victim, eventually there's video of him like jokingly hiding in a cupboard, which is pretty eerie to see considering. So at... 2.22.13 p.m., the first 911 call from the school is received by a Coral Springs dispatcher, and you can hear gunshots in the background of that call. 911, what's your birthday? Hello, we're at Summit Douglas High School, and I think there's a shooter. Hello? You still there? Talk to me, please. Also this morning, we're hearing new 911 calls while the shooting unfolded. Parents fearing for their children's lives, and one of those calls coming from inside the school. 
911, what is your emergency? Hi, my daughter just uh, texted me from school. She's at Stoneman Douglas, Mar Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, and she says there's an active shooter. This morning, we're hearing the frantic 911 calls as 17 students and teachers were gunned down. She says she's behind the desk right now, but the shots were close. Hopefully, she's going to text back right away. The shots were close to her? Yes. Did she close to her? Okay. Just she, uh, she, she's behind the desk. One call coming from inside the school. Is being shot up? Are you at the school? I can't hear you. Are you at the school? Parents desperately dialing 911. You said shot, shot, shot. Mom, God. Okay, we do we do have a call put in for dispatch. There are multiple police officers and fire rescue on the way out there, okay? In another call, you hear a mother talking to her child inside that school. I love you. I love you. It's going to be fine. Can you hide somewhere? Can you play dead? If he shoots, we need to play dead. If he shoots, play dead. Uh, 222-21, Cruz opens fire into room 1214. Nick Dora and his brother, I know I'm saying a lot of names, but his brother I just mentioned before as being grazed by a bullet in the back of the head. So now his brother, Nick Dora, is 17 years old, killed instantly by a gunshot wound to the head. Helena Ramsey, 16, is shot multiple times in her chest and eventually bleeds out. Four other students are injured in this classroom. Sam Grady, um, Samantha Fuentes, she is shot in her thigh and had injuries from shrapnel in the face. Isabel Chakur and Daniela Meniscal were all hit. And this is the room where, I mean, a lot of you have probably seen the video. It was in the news where there's just like a really scary video that someone was taking uh, right when the gunfire started and they're all screaming. So I'll put in the clip here, like I warned, it's very upsetting. You hear the gunshots, you hear them screaming, um, just a lot going on. So if you don't want to hear that, just fast forward like 30 seconds or a minute to be safe. Holy shit. Holy shit! Oh my god! Oh my god! So at 2.22.39, so this has all happened in like, we're only at like two minutes now maybe. Um, the smoke from his weapon sets off the fire alarm. So soon after this, students on the second floor start to lock down their classrooms and get out of the hallways because they can hear the shooting. But students on the third floor, they're unaware of the gunman all the way downstairs. They start to evacuate because of the fire alarm. So they all end up in the hallway. But they're confused because I guess there was already a fire drill conducted earlier that day. So a lot of them were confused as to why this was happening. But regardless, it ends up getting them all in the hallway, which is kind of like worst case scenario. So at this time, school resource officer, Deputy Scott Peterson, he is the only armed person on the campus. He issues a radio alert of shots fired after meeting with um, one of the other school counts, school monitors in the beginning that I told you ran away and kind of did nothing. They talked about it. Deputy Scott Peterson, he sent an alert out, said, be advised, we have possible, could be fireworks. I think we have gunshots fired in building 1200. He is seen on CCTV standing at the southeast corner of building 12. And this was a big thing because he 
we'll go into it more as the timeline goes on, but he basically is there, he's armed and he literally does absolutely nothing, doesn't even try to get involved. And that's kind of like his one job. So still no code red called out to the school at this point. At 2.22.40, um, Nicholas Cruz returns to room 1216, which was the first one that he shot up pretty aggressively. Um, and this time he ends up killing Alyssa Aladeff who was shot a total of 10 times. Elena Petty, who's 14, she is shot in the upper torso. In her neck, she was killed. And a witness later described how Elena's body slid against the wall before falling to the floor. And then two other students were injured in this classroom as well. So at 2.22.49, athletic director Chris Hickson, 49, he ran into the school unarmed after hearing gunfire. He ends up getting shot in the legs by Cruz. He crawls to one of those little alcoves in the hallway to kind of try to hide out. 22306, uh, Nicholas fires into room 1213, killing Carmen Shentrup, who is 16, with a gunshot to the abdomen. Um, this is another video where the, someone was recording. This one I don't think I'll put in because you just hear her dying, basically, and you hear other kids crying for help. So it'll be linked um, on the Reddit post, but that one's pretty tough to hear, but you hear her whimpering and moaning until she passes away. Three other students are injured, and one of them you can hear crying out for help, but he ended up living. So still no code red at this point. At 2.23.22, Nicholas discovers the injured Chris Hickson. He was the one that I just said crawled into an alcove, and he shoots him three times in the chest and abdomen. Um, you could hear him screaming on that video also that I said I wasn't going to post. And he ended up living for a while, but he ends up passing away on the way to being taken for medical aid once the police finally get there. 223-26, football coach Aaron Feist, 37, enters the west end of the stairwell after being alerted to the gunman by Chris McKenna. He was the one that ran away at the very start when Nicholas told him he better get out of here. It was going to get messy. Uh, Aaron Feist ended up taking a golf cart and driving over to building 13 to see what was going on. And at nearly the exact time that he enters the stairwell into the building, Nicholas enters the stairwell as well and immediately starts firing at him. There's burn marks on Feiss's hands, which suggests that he tried to grab the gun and disarm Nicholas, but he ended up getting shot in the head and his body was found partially through the entrance of the building. So he's always been kind of recognized as a hero because he came and ran into the building and tried to stop him and do something. And it cost him his life, unfortunately. And when you finally do get back to school, how many of you have teachers you want to thank? Yeah. The whole group. Every teacher deserves to know that they're a hero, even if it's not noted, they're a hero. The stories of remarkable courage already emerging. There was the beloved assistant football coach, Aaron Feiss, a graduate of the school who came back to his alma mater to work with young athletes. He was one of the greatest people I knew. He was a phenomenal man. Witnesses say he responded to the initial call after hearing the sounds of gunfire erupt. And I'm close with Mr. Feist, so he kept waving at me to leave. And then I saw the shooter run after Mr. Feist. And I saw Mr. Feist get shot. When Aaron Feist died, when he was killed, 
tragically, inhumanely. He did it protecting others. You can guarantee that because that's who Aaron Feist was. The weight of survival, now a heavy burden for these teenagers. So Nicholas Cruz then spent two minutes and 13 seconds on the first floor of the building. He killed nine students, two teachers, and injured 13 others. And at this point, still no code red. So a lot of damage in two minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. I just I can't even imagine the chaos and the confusion in two minutes. Like, it's not like this went on for hours and hours. Just there was no time. Yeah, and there's just so many annoying things that happen, like with the bathrooms being locked and them not being able to hide. Yeah. It's just like that stuff, even though it's horrible to talk about these things, but talking about what went wrong in this situation hopefully can prevent things like that from happening in the future. I don't know. But then, yeah, yeah. And obviously, it's a whole other discussion. But then you get the Uvalde things that happened just this year. And if you, you wonder if anyone's really learned anything, that's on, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so 223.36, Cruz goes to the second floor now. But like I said before, on the second floor, they kind of figured out what was going on. They all either ran out or locked down in their rooms really well. So there was no one in the hallway. He kind of meanders around for a little and I guess he mumbled something along the lines of no one's here to himself. Um, still no code red at this point. 22348, Deputy Peterson, that's the school resource officer, takes refuge between Building 7 and Building 8. He radios for the intersection to be blocked off, but he doesn't engage the shooter nor urge others to do so. He's still the only other armed person on campus at this point. Cruz spent 51 seconds on the second floor of the building. So at 224, students in the process of evacuating from the third floor because they heard um, the fire alarm, they start hearing gunshots and they see Nicholas with the gun at this point. And this can all be seen on CCTV, like I said. So after realizing what's happening, teachers seeing the panicked students help gather them in classrooms. They do their best that they can to clear the hallways. Teachers Stacy Lipple and Scott Beagle, they were... Um, trying to get kids into their classrooms. They were right by the entrance of the stairwell. And while helping students take shelter in the classroom, another teacher, social studies teacher, Ernie Raspierski, he realized that he doesn't have the key to his room and that the door was locked. And he has about 15 students with him and the keys are locked in the room. So he corrals all the students he can in another alcove and tries to protect them the best he can. So all these teachers really stepped up to try to save their kids. Um, still no code red. At 224.31, Stacy Lipple, one of the teachers I just mentioned, she sees Cruz come out of the stairwell. She motions to the other teacher, Scott Beagle, 35, to shut his door because I guess he didn't have a good vantage point to see where he was. And she gets shot actually in the arm by a bullet while she was shutting her door. And two seconds later, Scott Beagle is shot in the chest and killed instantly. And they think that what took him so long is he was trying to lock his door because the doors there had to be locked from the outside. So he was out there trying to lock the door to save himself and the kids and got shot in the process. And that CCTV video, most of them are blurred out, but this one's actually out because his mother consented it to be released because she wanted it to be shown like what happened to him like he was trying to be a hero and just how horribly he was murdered beagle students say he tried to shield them from the gunman he was just the best teacher ever he he automatically made you smile no matter what he said you know he always had to come back to everything it's like he was a great man and most importantly he was a hero to a lot of people 
and I still don't believe it. Like, I still think I'm going to go back to his class and everything, but it, yeah, it still hasn't hit me. And it was just too, it's too shocking to hit me. He didn't, nobody deserved it, especially him. He was hands down, like, favorite teacher ever. Yeah, I think time is what's going to heal all of us, if it even does, but. Just walking into the Mr. Beagle's classroom and not him, like, him not being there. I'm not walking. Walking into that front door where he was, where he passed, you know, how, how are we supposed to do that? without, you know, bawling into tears. Like, I don't understand. We just need time and just being with friends that were there that survived yeah. and being with each other, that's helping. But it's not something you can just push and, like, get out. No, you, like, you can't get over this. Um, so 224-34, Anthony Borges, 15. He used himself as a human shield to guard a doorway to a classroom with circa 20 people inside. He shot five times, twice in the right leg, once in the left leg, twice in the torso, and he was the most critically wounded victim to survive the shooting. So he also kind of sacrificed himself to try to save his classmates. 15-year-old Anthony Borges, the most gravely wounded survivor of the Parkland massacre, now finally home from the hospital. How do you feel right now? I feel good. Anthony speaks haltingly, the result of his wounds. How many times did you get hit? Five. Five times. A third of his lung had to be removed, one bullet coming dangerously close to his liver, three more tearing into his legs. You feel lucky to be alive? Mm -hmm. Yeah. His classmates lucky too, some probably alive today because of Anthony's bravery. Turning himself into a human shield, and despite his wounds, he barricaded the classroom door shut as the gunman continued his deadly rampage. I think I was gonna die. He's a hero in my book. Family lawyer Alex Ariaza. He's the real deal. Anthony's bravery is being recognized around the world. Boxes and boxes of letters from strangers sharing love and support. Some of the most moving coming from the family's home country, Venezuela. Luchador, ganador, campeón. He's a fighter, he's a winner, he's a champion. <laughs> he hasn't read it yet, she says. He is a hero. Anthony's close friend, Carlitos Rodriguez, was in lockdown that day. It shouldn't have happened on February 14th. Shouldn't have happened ever not in my school or in any other school. 224-35, Meadow Pollock, she's 18. She was shot four times and collapses in the alcove of Raspirsky's room. Kara Lauren was also with her. She is frozen in fear hiding in there. So they're the one girl shot hiding and the other girl is scared and hiding. Then Joaquin Oliver, who was 17, he was shot in the knee. He collapses and takes cover in an alcove of the men's bathroom. Uh, 224-42, this is finally when Broward Sheriff's Deputy Michael Kratz enters the campus. He stops around 1,000 feet from Building 12, where the shooter remains. He doesn't engage the shooter, but blocks traffic instead. So this is kind of like a big turning point here. Around 224-46, Nicholas's weapon jams, and he returns to the end of the hallway near Scott Beagle's classroom and his body to try to fix it. At this point, Code Red is finally called, even though it seems like it's forever. It's really only been five minutes, but it's just like so much has happened at this point. Campus monitor Elliot Bonner sees the body of Aaron Feiss outside of the door of the building, and he was the one to finally initiate the Code Red call. 
At 2.24.57, Cruz is fixing his jammed gun in Rospierski, the social studies teacher. He tells his students to run at this point to get out of the building because they were only hiding in like a little alcove in the hallway because he was locked out of the classroom. Um, so they all run and he follows and he actually ends up getting shot in his hip and cheek in the process of escaping. We start to exit the building. All my kids are in front of me going down the stairwell. I get to the door at the top of the west stairwell in the 1200 building. We hear gunfire. I assume that it's a code red drill because they told us earlier in the day that we're going to be having a code red drill. I assumed it was blanks. So I grabbed all my kids, started yelling at the kids, get back in rooms, get back into rooms. Shutter, uh, push as many kids into rooms as I can. By the time I get back to my room's door, there's the shooters already up at the tail end of the hall, at the other end, the east end of the building. Uh, heard two shots. I didn't see it, but then those two shots would have been my friend Scott Beagle getting shot and killed while trying to save his kids. And then he looked down the hallway and started shooting. At this point, I'm pretty much in the middle of the hallway. I go for cover because, well, I realized that this time I can't actually get in my room because my keys are in my room. As I'm getting going for cover, one of my former students, a kid who's a senior named Joaquin Oliver, uh, screamed, turned, he was shot. At that point, I looked down at the shooter. He looked at me, pointed his AR at me, and started shooting. I pushed all my kids into the by my door to save as many of them as I could. As I was doing that, bang, 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 all of a sudden the shooting stopped. I looked down, he was reloading. I yelled, run, and then I ran behind as many kids as I could. When I got to the door at the top of the stairwell, there's two doors. The closest door, I put my foot there to stop it from opening, hoping to buy my kids some time. As I was leaving, after my kids made it down at least two flights of stairs where I couldn't see them anymore, there's a girl on the ground. I shook her, said, hey, tried to get her attention, no response, reached for trying to find a pulse of some sort, nothing. At that point, I decided that I did as much as I could for the kids. I now have to make sure I breathe. Went to the second floor, into the conference room, and hid in the men's bathroom till the police came through. 19-year-old young man who had trouble. I didn't know that at the time because he had a mask on, so I didn't know who it was. I just saw a guy with a gun shooting at my kids. Tried to save as many as I could. Unfortunately, I didn't get all of them. That's what I got. Student Kyle Lehman around this time allegedly states, hey, we got to go, we got to go to Joaquin Oliver, but he's unable to flee due to his knee injury. And when Cruz begins shooting again, Kyle Lehman suffers a serious gunshot wound to the foot and his tendons are near destroyed. But even though the wound was so bad, like even doctors like he shouldn't have been able to walk, he was able to persevere and run out of the building and kind of saved his life. So 225, Jamie Gutenberg, 14, is shot in the back through her spinal cord. She manages to make it a few steps into the stairwell before collapsing and dying. Peter Wang, 15, he was holding the door open for students to escape the stairwell. Um, and he was shot a total of 12 times and died from a gunshot wound to the head. At 2.25.14, Meadow Pollock, she was with Kara Lauren in an alcove. I 
Meadow was shot and they were kind of hiding together. Meadow crawled over her friend Kara and tried to play dead on top of her to protect her. But Cruz shoots them multiple times anyways, and the bullets actually passed through Meadow into Kara, killing both of them. So according to Meadow's father, she was shot a total of nine times and five of those bullets passed through into Kara. At 2.25.18, Joaquin Oliver, he remains in the alcove. He was shot in the knee, so he was unable to run. Cruz approaches him, and according to witnesses, he seemed like he was shot over 10 times in the leg before finally he was killed with a shot to the head, and he is the final person to be killed during the shooting. At this point, uh, Nicholas tried to enter the stairwell, but he's unable to do so because Raspierski, the social studies teacher, I told you after he told his students to run while Nicholas's weapon was jammed, he actually stayed kind of behind and like shut the door and like stood behind it to jam it, but out of the way of the window so Nicholas couldn't see him. So that was very brave. You could see that on the CCTV as well. Then at this point, Cruz, he attempts to shoot through the windows at the students fleeing outside because he thought he would have like a good vantage point from the window to shoot more people as they ran away. But the school had hurricane-proof windows, so he wasn't able to shoot through them. But there's pictures online of kind of like the shot-out windows. So at 2.27.10 p.m., Cruz fires the final shot of the massacre in the teacher's lounge. And then from that point is where he abandons his rifle weapon in a stairwell. Police are confused. They think he's still inside, but he actually flees with the rest of the students, blends in and runs off. And police have no idea that he ran off initially. So at this point, after he flees with the rest of the students, he then goes to a Subway restaurant and he gets a soda and then goes to McDonald's where he sat down there for a minute and he left the McDonald's around 3.01. He was finally arrested at 3.41 p.m. by a Coconut Creek police officer. He was found around two miles away from the school and he was taken to the hospital because he had labored breathing but was released within 40 minutes of arriving. The body camera of a Broward Sheriff's Office deputy recorded the moments after Nicholas Cruz was arrested for the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. Cruz immediately started talking about demons. What's going on? What's going on today, bro? Uh, the de demons, man. Demons? Voices. Voices. Voices and demons. Where's the voices? This video was recorded about an hour and a half after the shooting. And for context, remember that surveillance cameras capture crews fleeing the school right after the rampage, blending in with other students. Surveillance cameras also capture crews at a nearby Walmart ordering a drink and calmly sitting at a McDonald's with the brother of a student that Cruz had just shot and seriously injured. The investigation revealed that Cruz even asked that boy for a ride. About 50 minutes after that McDonald's encounter, this video was recorded. What happened? Shut up. Just be quiet, man. Shut up. Hours later, Cruz would find himself in an interrogation room with BSO detective John Curcio. During the recorded interview, Cruz again brought up the voices. Obviously, again, when you say it's a voice, it's you. It's all you. The voice is you as well. Yeah. The voice didn't force you to do anything, right? No, the voice did. It's two voices. Huh? It, it, there's one half that's a good and then the bad. 
Later in the interrogation, Detective Curcio would flat out tell Cruz that he did not believe Cruz was actually hearing voices. Back to that body camera footage, as deputies and officers gathered at the scene just a couple of miles from the school and all the bloodshed, the confessed shooter lay on the ground crying and whimpering. At 6.27 p.m. that evening, Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel announced that 17 people were killed in the shooting. He also announced that Nicholas Cruz was the main suspect. So the 14 students and three staff members killed were Alyssa Aladeth, 14, Scott Beagle, 35, Martin Duque, 14, Nicholas Dwaret, 17, Aaron Feist, 37, Jamie Gutenberg, 14, Chris Hickson, 49, Luke Hoyer, 15, Carol Lauren, 14, Gina Montaldo, 14, Joaquin Oliver, 17, Elena Petty, 14, Meadow Pollock, 18, Helena Ramsey, 17, Alex Schatster, 14, Carmen Shentrup, 16, and Peter Wang, 15. So the shooting only lasted six minutes and all the casualties occurred within the first four minutes. So it's insane how fast it happened, but I'm sure it felt like the longest five minutes of everyone's lives. CNN used a public records request to obtain a sheriff's log, which showed that from 2008 to 2017, at least 45 calls were made in reference to Nicholas or his family. Um, Nicholas was charged with 17 counts of premeditated murder and held without bond, and he was put in isolation on suicide watch after he was arraigned. We are going to stop this episode here. That is everything that kind of went down during the shooting and background on him. At this point, he has been arrested, so we will get into everything that happened after the fact in the next episode. I hope you guys enjoy your holiday, like I said at the start. Come back next week for part two. Everything will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. Follow us on Instagram. That's where we post all of our updates with current cases and everything. We're currently, I mean, this will come out in a week from today, but right now we've been posting a lot about those Moscow murders of the four Idaho students. Very mysterious. Maybe we'll do an episode on that, depending what comes out. You can follow our personal accounts. I've like lost my train of thought here. <laughs> uh, our personal Instagrams, mine is Steph Sum underscores Olivia is, is TCS Olivia. And you know, leave us a rating, share the podcast, check out our sponsors, all that. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Look out for each other. Peace out. Yeah.